Oh, Merry Christmas, everybody. Merry Christmas. Welcome to Parkview. Just uh, one more shot at the Bears, if you don't mind. Here we go, right there. Yeah, there. Good. <laughs> That's it. I'm done. Okay. In case, uh, case you haven't heard, uh, in case you didn't get here on time and didn't see the prelude or whatever, um, last week we made a, a video, Angry Bears fan video, which we uh, copied off a guy that did the Angry Browns fan video, and uh, we put it on the internet. We were talking about anger last week, and we put it on the internet, and as of right now, there are 640,000 downloads of that video on YouTube. It just went, you know, kind of David went to the dentist crazy out there, so uh, make sure you see that, share it with your friends. It's a fun uh, conversation piece around the, around the Christmas. Christmas table. Um, listen, um, I, we just want to welcome you here. We've been doing the colors of Christmas, and, and I know that, uh, you know, you, maybe you haven't been for all of them. You can see them online. It doesn't matter. What we want to talk about today is a white Christmas. How many of you would say that the, white, that the song White Christmas is in your top five Christmas songs? Go ahead and raise your hand. I mean, I know, I know you're like a little nervous. You're like, oh, it's church. We've got to say Silent Night or we'll go to hell. No, I'm just, I just want to know. Put your hand up. White Christmas. It's okay. Right? I mean, it, it, the, the thing is, there's so many dumb Christmas songs. You got to love the good ones, right? Because you're going to hear them over and over again. I mean, I just get so tired of hearing, I saw mommy kissing Santa Claus, right? Or grandma got run over by a reindeer or malakalikimaka. I mean, what do we have to hear that? You want to know what my all-time least favorite one is? Any Italians out there? You know this one? Hey, jing it jing. Sing it with me. It's Dominic the donkey. Jing it jing. The Italian Christmas donkey. La la la. We can't even make up any words. La la la. I mean, but seriously, no offense to the paisans out there, but do you know how this song goes? Santa has to ride a donkey because reindeer can't climb the hills of Italy. Everybody knows Reindeer Fly. I mean, what a dumb song. Am I right, kids? Man. White Christmas is so meaningful. I mean, because, you know, I mean, it was recorded in 1942 during, you know, the war. Um, it is, according to the Guinness Book of World Records, the number one recorded single of all time. 100 million at least copies sold in one way or another of White Christmas. Uh, Bing Crosby, interesting fact, Bing Crosby had to re-record it in 1947 because the master recording had been worn out. It had made, they had made so many copies. White Christmas. I mean, it's, it's something that, that means a lot to us. And we're all, you know, kind of wondering, are we going to have a White Christmas around here? I, I preached in Las Vegas last week. Um, at, a, at a church that's three times larger than Parkview, believe it or not. They'll have 50,000 people for Christmas Eve. It's a big church in Vegas, which is cool anyway. But, but I talked to the Midwesterners who've moved to, to Vegas. I, I started out by saying, look, you people that say, oh, I miss having a white Christmas, you need to see a doctor. Because that's a sign of early onset Alzheimer's, right? Because you're forgetting about a white January and a white February and a white March, April, May, June, July, right? I mean, that's, that's what they forget about. But the white Christmas is fun because there's something about the snow that just, just kind of makes everything even, doesn't it? It just, when you walk out, I mean, until you remember you have to shovel it, when you walk out and you see how beautiful everything is, I love it when it covers a car because you don't know if that's a beater or a beamer, right, underneath. Everything kind of gets evened out. And there's fun stuff you can do with it in case you're interested. You can draw little men on there if you want to. You can, you know, you can, uh, you can do things on the side of it, make people think, I know, it's good, right? You can make snowmen or snow feet as the case might be. I love that. 
Here's my all-time favorite. You can make it look like uh, Frosty uh, jumped out the window. The, 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 the whole thing with the white deal that, that was interesting to me is we're doing, we're doing the colors. We talked about blue and how sometimes Christmas is not the way we want it to be in red and how, you know, we get angry sometimes at Christmas and we can turn that around. White, white's interesting to me because white's in the Bible. A white Christmas, I mean, a, a white snow thing is in the Bible, which is interesting because it's the Middle East. I don't know how many times they even got to see snow, but listen to this verse from the prophet, prophet Isaiah in the Old Testament. Though your sins are like scarlet, they will be as white as snow. Though they are as red as crimson, they will be like wool. You might be thinking, well, who, who are these people that get to have a white Christmas? They must be good, right? No, they're, they're not good. He says, your sins are like scarlet. Your sins are like scarlet. As a matter of fact, before this verse, he says, you are a sinful nation. This is what God is telling the nation of Israel. You're loaded down with guilt. You have turned from the Lord. The whitest snow verse, interestingly enough, is written to these people that made the Old Testament so long. The Israelites, the people that keep following God and then not following God and then following God and, and not following him and he has to send prophets. They were loaded down with guilt at this point and they knew that they were wrong. And like the little boy that was sitting at the kitchen table one December and his mom said, hey, why don't, you, why don't you go play? Why don't you go do something? And he's just sulking and he says, I can't. With you and Jesus and Santa watching me all the time, I can't do anything. That's how they felt. They felt like they, they, they God was watching over them and they, they, had a, they had this realization that if there was a list and, and somebody was going to find out who was naughty and nice, they, they realized that they probably weren't deserving of a white Christmas. It's to those people that Isaiah says, though your sins be as scarlet, they will be as white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they can be as wool. It was interesting as I was studying this verse that, that the word for scarlet, the word for crimson, I mean, obviously it's a deep red, right? But, but the word here was about a dye that they used to dye fabric. And, and it was a dye that was a permanent dye. There was no known way to remove the stain of crimson uh, or this, or this uh, scarlet color. It was a permanent dye. So I ask you, if you have white carpet at home and you're having a Christmas party, what is the one thing that you are most nervous about serving to your guests? Red, red wine, right? Or, or something with Italian red sauce. That, that's it. You're probably thinking, honey, we're serving fish so we can have white wine right now, aren't you right? I get that. Does it help you understand this verse if you realize that our sins are like scarlet, okay? Your sins are like scarlet, like that color right there. Don't worry, this is two buck chuck. I'm not wasting anything important. And if you want to know why your pastor knows what two buck chuck is, you'll have to just deal with that, okay? Um, <laughs> this is the problem with your white carpet, okay? Most of us know at some point in our life, we don't deserve to be on the nice list. We know that we have stains on our carpet. That's why my executive pastor, whose heart is bigger than his brain and I, introduced you to some of these products. Because I thought, I thought we could use these products to talk about some of the things that we do to try to make up for the sins in our life. Lustolium. That's a good one, isn't it? Right? I got a problem with it. What, what lustolium represents to me is I'm going to try to take care of my own problem. Okay? I'm going to get an accountability partner. I'm going to get a filter for my internet or whatever. I'm going to have some people that I talk to. Lies solve. 
Uh, it's the same thing, right? How, how are you going to fix this? Well, probably you're going to go get in a support group somewhere. You're going to go find some people that can get around you and help you with some of these things, which is wonderful. I love it when I hear somebody tell me, hey, I'm four years sober. I, I, I want to celebrate that with you. But the problem is, if you're four years sober, that means your carpet was probably already stained. And even if you've got the best people around you, you're still probably going to stain your carpet again. That's not really the answer. It's not going to work. Blame away, blame away is fun, as blame away represents the times when we deceive ourselves and try to make it look like it's not really our fault, right? Well, yeah, I've got a problem with lust, but you know, I've got a problem with lying, but you know, my company just expects it. It's not my fault. Or blame away is when we compare ourselves to other people and we say, well, yeah, I've got some stains on my carpet, but you know, it's not as bad as somebody else. I was reading some Christmas letters to Santa, and uh, one little boy said, Dear Santa, we have three boys in our family. Jeffrey is two, David is five, Norman is seven. Jeffrey is good some of the time, David is good some of the time, Norman is good all of the time. And then he added, I am Norman. (laughs) In case you're wondering, that's me, okay? Uh, that's, That's blame away. It's like I'm better than other people, so, you know, maybe my carpet's stained, but that's not that big a deal. Absolve. Um, I threw in for you Catholics. Let's just go ahead and raise your hand if you grew up Catholic. Make everybody feel at home here. Okay, see this? All right. Bless you, my sons. Okay, this is good. Good, I'm glad. Okay, absolve. Now, for the three of you that didn't grow up Catholic that are here in our audience, here's what the Catholic Dictionary defines absolution. Absolution is the act where a priest in the sacrament of penance frees a person from sin. Maybe you walked in here today and you're thinking, man, I don't know about this crazy church, but I hope that guy up there can say something or do something that will get my stain removed. And I hate to tell you this, but I got no clue, okay? If you're, if you're, looking, if you're looking for a church with like a, a super holy person leading it that's going to take care of everything, I got to tell you something. I, I have stained carpet just like you do. I'm in the same boat as you, and I don't believe you need somebody else to take care of it. I'll solve your problem in a minute. Cineflush and Syndex, those are the products that represent when I decide maybe I need to do something about this on my own. Okay? Uh, this represents the, the, the times when I decide I'm going to try to you know, take care of this carpet stain with, with good works. Because this is what, this is what most, most people believe they're going to do to take care of their stain, right? Well, I, I'm, I'm going to, you know, I, I, I'm nice to people. I give money in that Salvation Army thing, you know. I go to church when the bears are this bad. I got no reason, you know, not to, right? And, and most of the world and the other world's religions, they all, every other world religion, This is how you fix your stain problem. That's why it's really interesting to me that in between, you know, in between these verses where he says you're a sinful nation, but your your carpet can be white as snow, he says, God says, the multitude of your sacrifices, what are they to me? Stop bringing me your meaningless gifts. The incense of your offerings disgust me. I want no more of your pious meetings. When you lift up your hands in prayer, I will not look. What God is saying is, look, you can try all these products all you want. You can try to do all these things. You can try to do these good works and and try to get the stain out and try to make it better. But you know what happens when you try to do that? It usually just makes it worse, doesn't it? And even if you can get the stain out, there could still be a problem. I bought a house once um, where the previous owners had dogs. 
And uh, I wondered why they had those Airwick things plugged into absolutely every socket in the house when I was looking at it. And I figured it out a couple of days after living there. The smell wouldn't go away. The carpet looked clean, but the smell wouldn't go away. And I tried cleaning the carpet. I tried pulling up the carpet and cleaning it from the reverse side. I tried replacing the pad. I tried spraying bleach all around the outside of the wood to try to do everything I could. And I still couldn't get rid of the smell. There was still that biohazard smell there. It may, it may look to you like somebody's got their, you know, their, their life together, but it still smells bad because there's no way we can deal with this. It's like in your bathroom. God says, the incense of your offering disgusts me. Do you know, do you know what that means? I mean, that's like when you, do you have Lysol in your bathroom? Okay. You know what I'm saying then, right? I mean, if somebody goes in and makes stinky in your bathroom, the worst possible thing that they can do is spray Lysol on top of it, right? That's, that's, that makes it worse. Sometimes all you can do is light something on fire, throw it in there, and close the door. That's all that's going to help. <laughs> what, what God is saying is that the more you try to take care of this problem on your own, the more you're making it worse. I need you to just to bring your problem to me. Well, what are you going to do, God? Well, Isaiah goes on in chapter 9, he says, Here's how it's going to go. There's going to be no more gloom for those who are in distress and the people walking in darkness. They've seen a great light. Those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. For, here we go to Christmas, unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and he will be called the Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. I'm going to take care of your, your stain problem by sending my son to be among you. And then Isaiah goes on a few chapters later and says, and by the way, he's going to grow up and be pierced for our transgressions. And he's going to be crushed for our iniquities. And the punishment that brought us peace is upon him. Because by his wounds, we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. But the Lord has laid on him all our stains. That, that's how the whole thing's going to work. That's the story of Christmas. In, in Jesus, God is saying, look, if you want to try to pay for your sins, it's going gonna, it's gonna to take blood. It's going to take the payment that Jesus made. This would have happened to you if you were going to pay for your sins. But because of Christmas, you don't have to. I've always found it interesting that, the, that God did not leave naming rights up to the you know, mother and father that lived on the earth. The angel, very specifically in the New Testament story of Christmas, says to Joseph, Mary's going to give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. Why? Because the name Jesus means he's going to save the people from their sins. It means Lord of salvation, which is why the angel makes the announcement that's very specific and very important to us. I bring you good news of great joy that will be to all people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. A Savior has been born. Now think about that. Of, of all the descriptors that the angel could have used to describe who Jesus was going to be, why is Savior the one chosen? Why is that the most important? I mean, the angel could have said, a wonderful counselor is born to you because he is and he understands us. Uh, the angel could have said, God with us, Emmanuel is born to you because he is. The angel could have said, the Prince of Peace is born to you because he is the Prince of Peace and there will be peace on earth, goodwill to men. Could have used that description. I was reading this week an article by a psychologist who studied, you'll feel me guys, studied 
how men felt when they went shopping for Christmas with their wives. He studied their blood pressure and he said, and I quote, I found their blood pressure to be that which you would expect to see of a pilot before he was going into combat in the army. Can I get an amen from you guys, okay? We need peace on earth, right? Goodwill to men. But that's not the most important thing. The angel, the angel could have said, today in the town of David, a miracle worker is born. Because Jesus was. He healed the, the lame. He, he, he made the blind to see. He raised the dead, okay? That wasn't the most important thing. There's a story in Matthew 9 where Jesus heals a guy who is brought lower down through the roof to, these, to, to, to Jesus by some friends who are good friends. And, and when they lower him down, Jesus looks at the guy and the first thing he says is, your sins are forgiven. And then everybody started mumbling, well, how do you have the right to forgive sins? And he's like, okay, well, I guess I'll prove it. Get up and walk. And he did. I've often wondered what went through that guy's mind in between your sins are forgiven and get up and walk. Because I think for most of us, we, you know, you get a chance to go to Jesus, you're like, cool, Jesus, I'm glad my sins are forgiven, but could you take care of, you know, this problem? What I'd really like is, you know, a spouse. What I'd really like is healing. What I'd really like is for you to give me a raise. What I'd really like is for you to fix my problem. Because what we really want deep down inside is for God to fix our temporary problems. And he can, and he will. He is the mighty God. But here's why this is so important to me. Lazarus is not here. None of the people that Jesus raised from the dead, you know, are still alive. And they wouldn't want to be. They still died again because this world where we live is a temporary place. And some of you are struggling with this because you've lost, lost loved ones this Christmas. And, and so are we. My wife and I lost a dear friend last night. As a, if you've been around here, it's Karen Lavin who we've been praying for. 50 years old, vibrant, great woman of faith. Of all the people in the world, you know, she was one of those, you would say, there's no, no reason for Karen not to be here. There's more for God to do. And uh, she had a major stroke about a month ago and she passed away last night. I went over to see Karen on Saturday. I mean, she, she's in a coma. She you know, she was in that place in between heaven and earth, even Saturday. And I, I knew I was telling her goodbye. And I was thinking to myself, I wish that God would do a miracle. And I believe that God can do a miracle. But I wonder what Karen wants right now. As she lies there stuck between heaven and earth, where does she really, really want to be? Does she want to be here or does she want to be home? I mean, do you think... Lazarus was even happy to be returned back to earth when Jesus brought him back. That's not the important part. Paul says, we live in tents. This is the message paraphrase. He says, we know that when these bodies of ours are taken down like tents and folded away, they will be replaced by resurrection bodies in heaven. That's what Karen's in now. They're God-made, not handmade, and we will never have to relocate our tents again. And sometimes we can hardly wait to move, and we cry out in frustration. Because compared to what's coming, living conditions around here seem like a stopover in an unfurnished shack. And sometimes we just get tired of it. I, I wanted Karen to be here with her family, with her husband. But ultimately, a million years from now, it's not going to matter whether Karen went to see Jesus at age 50 or 150 because we're all going to be together. 
And it's not because of the miracle worker part. There's a, a Christmas poem that is often quoted that goes something like this. If our greatest need had been information, God would have sent an educator. If our greatest need had been technology, he would have sent a scientist. If it would have been money, he would have sent an accountant. If it would have been pleasure, he would have sent an entertainer. But our greatest need was forgiveness, so God sent a Savior. That's why I'm dreaming of a white Christmas. Because only God can make this happen. Only Jesus can make this happen. There's a passage of scripture, another white passage of scripture in the book of Mark in the New Testament where Jesus has this weird transfiguration experience and Moses and Elijah come down and he hangs out kind of in between heaven and earth like I was just talking about. And it says, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and led him up a high mountain where they were all alone. And then he was transfigured before them. Listen to this. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. How is that possible? It's possible because Jesus gives you a new piece of carpet. It's not about getting rid of the stains on this carpet. It's about a new piece of carpet. The Bible says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone and the new is here. And I want to tell you something about this carpet. It's whiter than anyone in the world could bleach it, and it has the ultimate stain master applied to it. The blood of Jesus. It happens any time from now on, no matter what happens, everything is covered by the blood of Jesus. There's an old song we used to sing, old hymn we used to sing, that I couldn't help but think of during preparations for this message. Lord Jesus, I long to be perfectly whole. I want thee forever to live in my soul. Break down every idol, cast out every foe. Now wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Whiter than snow. Yes, whiter than snow. Now wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Though our sins be like scarlet, they will be white as snow. I'm dreaming of a white Christmas because today in the town of David, a Savior has been born. He is Christ the Lord. There's something about a baby that kind of changes everything in your life, doesn't it? Um, this one really did. This is my grandson, Charlie. You picked the right service. Didn't they? Didn't they pick the right one? changes everything, right? It changes your schedule. Now we got to get to Nashville because that's where Charlie lives. And those of you who are parents, you know it really changes your schedule. Changes your wallet, doesn't it? I mean, I, I didn't think, I don't think Babies R Us existed when we were having babies. And as of Friday, we now have a rewards account there. <laughs> changes your house because, man, next year we're going to have to have baby-proof cabinets and a lockdown toilet. Mostly, though, what a baby does when it comes into your family is it changes your heart. They try to tell you before you become a grandparent or a parent how much this little guy is going to change your life and how much you're going to love him, but there's no way you can know that until they show up. That's what I love about Christmas. 
It's about the story of God coming all the way down, wanting to love us, wanting to be in a relationship with us so much that he would come down this far. He would come this far, which is pretty much all the way. All the way down and make himself this vulnerable so that he could show us how much he loves us. So that he could invite us into a relationship with us. I've been interested to see how many kids like to stop at our, uh, at our nativity scene out here. Here's a little Tate, my little buddy. And every time I go by that nativity scene out in this hallway, I see kids down there. And we finally realize it's because it's a kid-sized nativity scene, isn't it? It's their size. And that's why they love it. And the reason we love Christmas is because it's not about a great big God who's up there in heaven. It's, it's our size. Bless you. It's our size. That's who it is. It's about God coming to our level and being a part of us so that when the angel says, good news of great joy, it will be to all the people. Everybody can relate to it. Because how can you not relate to a baby? I want to tell you something. This gift is for you. If, you, if you've been listening to this message and you're thinking, I don't know if I'm having a white Christmas this year, I'm going to invite you to do that. We're going to pray. We're going to have communion. And you don't have to be from this church to have communion. If you believe in Jesus, take communion with us. There'll be two trays come by. One, two cups. Uh, there'll be a tray come by with two cups in it. And there'll be uh, bread in the bottom cup and juice in the top cup. And just take them both out and hold them. And we will do communion together in just a moment. And during this prayer right now, I'm going to invite you to accept the gift of Christmas. Because how can you not? You can be white as snow because God came all the way down to our level. And Jesus grew up to die on the cross so that we could be free from our sins. All we need to do is say thank you and accept it. Let's pray. God, I thank you that you would come this far down you would come all the way down to this place where little Charlie is. And you would be one of us. You would show us that you were that humble and that, that great at the same time that you could come down and be one of us and be subjected to the things of this world like a little baby. That you would let your son come down and be born in a manger and be raised by peasants and be a part of our world to grow up and die on the cross for us. And Lord, if there are people in this room right now that just haven't ever accepted that story, will you please let them open up the door of their heart? You tell us in Revelation that if we will open the door, that you're knocking on it, if we'll open the door, that you will come in. So Lord, I know you're knocking on the door of some hearts right now. Will you tell them to open the door so that you can come in and Give them new carpet, white as snow. And if they're listening to me right now, let them just open up and say, Jesus, I want you to be my Lord and my Savior. I'm praying for you to come in and give me a white Christmas because I know that's why you came. Though our sins be like scarlet, they will be white as snow. Lord, thank you. And for all of us who celebrate this white Christmas every year, thank you. Thank you for this angle of the story. It helps us to understand that it's not about us. 
It's not about what we do. It's completely about you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.